0: Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast, episode 26. In today's episode, I'll be discussing discerning truth, finding facts in a world of disinformation. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. Join Ron Bouchard as he casts a wide net sharing his philosophy of life, business, and success and goes fishing for wisdom in interviews with other entrepreneurs, authors, and thought leaders. You'll hear their stories of triumph and tribulation. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur trying to succeed outside the confines of the current of social expectation, bring the bait and join us for Gone Fishing.
0: Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Bouchard. From the time we were young, we had told stories about honesty and the importance of telling the truth. Stories like The Boy Who Cried Wolf teach people to tell the truth if they wish to be believed when it matters the most. The Emperor's New Clothes encourages us to speak up if we know the truth despite the consequences. The story of Pinocchio tells us to be brave and to tell the truth despite the social pressures, and that lies come with consequences. Oscar Wilde teaches us in this classic the importance of being earnest that honesty is the best policy. Nowhere in these classic editions does it teach us how to discern truth in a world of disinformation. That is the goal of today's episode. Studies have shown that around 47% of Americans trust the mainstream media to report the truth, and only 37% believe that you can actually find truth on social media outlets. That is for good reason. The media no longer reports facts and data. Instead, they push a narrative and use propaganda to control the thoughts, beliefs, and expectations of the masses. If you wish to be free... If you wish to free yourself from the confines of social expectation and construct a foundation strong enough to build a compelling future upon if you wish to free yourself from the confines of social expectation and construct a foundation strong enough to build a com- compelling future upon you must learn to employ the metrics that lead one to accurate thought And joining me this evening to discuss this topic is Ana Silvera of Waypoint Mastermind and Jay Barrett Realty. How are you doing, Ana?
2: I'm doing great. And you, Ron?
0: I'm doing great. Did you have a chance to listen to last week's episode by any chance?
2: Yes, I did.
0: And what did you think about the topic of deception?
2: Um, I thought it was very interesting and powerful. And it definitely. Puts things in perspective of the way things are at, at this time.
0: Yeah, I hope I didn't uh, go too far off the, uh, off the deep end on last week's episode. No. But it was a lot I wanted to say last week. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really passionate about this particular topic because I see a world where most people are walking in deception. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're a Republican, Democrat, if you're a male, female, it doesn't matter what your race, color, creed, religion, people are being deceived. No matter who you are, you're being deceived in one way, shape, or form. So this week, I wanted to focus on the solutions. Last week, we focused on the problem. So this week, I wanted to go in depth about the solution. And I wanted to start with the the, um i guess where it begins Mm
2: -hmm.
0: with information exchange so in an information exchange you have two individuals correct correct you have the purveyor of information and we have the receiver of information now in that exchange generally they're not thinking consciously about um rules or metrics, they're just having a conversation generally. Isn't that that true?
2: That is true, yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's it's usually more of a casual conversation. But the problem is, without metrics, we can't figure out how to discern truth. So we need a guide to help us get to the bottom of what is actually true in this world of disinformation. Mm. And if you look at Facebook, if you look at, um, if you look at Twitter, if you look at the news, nearly everything that we're hearing is twisted in one way or another to, to push a narrative. And so we've gotten out of the habit of just giving people raw truth and letting them decide. And for years now, we've been teaching narratives. We've been teaching stories. And we've been finding information that fits the story and pushing that forward. That is extremely destructive to a society because society, as you know, relies on truth
2: mm-hmm.
1: if
0: it's going to survive. Yep. So these purveyor and receivers of information have internal problems right from the get-go. Without the information being skewed by the information source, there's already a problem in the mix. And the problem is that each of the... Parties, both the purveyor and the receiver, have their own motives for the sharing of information and their own cognitive biases and their own beliefs that interpret or color the information as it's being received. So you and I have had multiple conversations about the drunk monkey.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And for you, the drunk monkey really changed things, wouldn't you say?
2: Yes. I would
0: say that, yeah. So I'm going to take people through the process of what happens when you have the drunk monkey and the drunk monkey gets information, and then that information becomes the result down the line, an action or a reaction. I think going through what I call the mind map is going to help people understand how information is utilized by our system. So the first thing we have to understand is not all information is is equal and a little later in this process we're going to go through the four types of information but so you receive information and that information could be true or false that information then becomes a thought so you start thinking about the information that the person is sending to you or giving to you mm-hmm. and most people don't have a century at the door to prevent that information from becoming a belief. And that's where we have a problem. See, I believe your subconscious mind is like a monkey. He's your co-pilot. In fact, Dr. Bruce Lipton says that you, 72% of what the average person believes is false. Mm -hmm. And I'll reiterate that 95% of your day is controlled by your subconscious mind. So you're only in cognitive conscious control of your day, 5% of your day. And that's if you're on the high end. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people only have conscious control of their lives for 1% of the day. But people say, well, that's impossible. Well, there's lots of research, and you can look at Doc's, Dr. Bruce Lifton's work, that verify and prove this. However, most of what people think is actually thinking is actually remembering Which is why you get in your car and you start driving and you don't even know how you got from point A to point B. Because your memory, your monkey, takes over. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now the question is not whether or not you're going to have a monkey take over. Your monkey's always going to take over. The question is, is he a friend or a foe? (laughs) Is he drunk or is he sober? And the more limiting beliefs and false information you give him, the drunker he becomes. And that's why most people spend their life just having storm after storm and just having to pick themselves up all the time. They spend all their lives barely surviving instead of thriving because the monkey is just wreaking havoc. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So we have this information source. The information source then becomes a thought, the thought that gets filtered through the monkey the programs that the monkey's already accumulated. And the monkey doesn't know right or wrong. He just has a bunch of information. And the monkey also has what we call cognitive biases, which we're going to go over in detail soon. So that information is then colored, and that information, that new belief system, or that new information that becomes a belief, then turns into a meaning or a model of how we see the world. So it changes the way in which we look at everything, which then leads to our feelings and emotions. We get into emotional states, which is why some people have anxiety. Sometimes something will trigger anxiety because it's triggering that belief or bias, which then triggers the meaning and model, which then triggers the feelings, which triggers the emotional state which then leads to our habits, which is that which we do over and over again, which I call the boat. That's where our boat is. Mm-hmm. And that boat leads to our result. Either we are um, acting consciously or we're reacting. Now, the problem with the reacting is it's unconscious, or, and your subconscious, your monkey, is the one doing the work. And if you have a drunk monkey, you don't want your drunk monkey reacting. Mm-hmm. What happens when a man goes into a bar and he reacts? Well, he starts a fight.
2: Yep.
0: He's not thinking clearly. So we have to keep that in mind. That's the what I call the mind map. That's the process through which, and as coaches, I can go in and I can figure out based on what you're doing, I can figure out what part of the process is having an issue. And I can help you rewrite that process. I can help you sober you, the monkey. And we've done a lot of that through the years, haven't we?
2: Yes. Yes, we have. Yep.
0: And, uh, and it's something we always have to do. I have to do it with my monkey, you have to do it with your mm-hmm. monkey. It's something that doesn't stop. we become more and more aware of the, the um, programs that we've inherited over the years through social, what I call social heredity. Um, and we become more and more aware of them and we get to choose what those programs are going to be Mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about motive now when you're purveying information do you agree that you might have an ulterior motive for giving somebody some information
2: yes i would agree yes
0: not you of course but
2: <laughs> other
0: people other would have, people an, would have
2: uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, other people would have an ulterior motive for giving or purveying information mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and skewing it to meet a specific narrative, mm-hmm. so some of those motives are you know people give you information to avoid being punished, so you know. There's no significant difference for lies told to avoid punishment for a purposeful misdeed versus an honest mistake. So people give faulty information so they can avoid being punished. She did it.
2: Yeah.
0: No, she didn't do it. But if you blame her, then she gets punished and you avoid the punishment. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what children do all the time. And adults do it as well. Sometimes people have a motive to give people false information so they can obtain a reward, not otherwise readily uh, obtainable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that's the second most common common motive of both children and adults. Um, you might falsely claim work experience during a job interview to make sure that they hire you. Mm-hmm. So that's. A motive, you have a motive in the information you're giving people in order to obtain a reward. You also could have a motive of protecting another person from being punished. You could lie about something. Well, no, she was with me the entire time. She didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that occurs sometimes with coworkers. It occurs with friends, family, and even strangers. You want to protect the people that you're with, so you lie about it. People have a motive to protect oneself from the threat of physical harm. So if they think they're going to be harmed, they have a motive to give people disinformation so as to pr- avoid the punishment or the harm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people give false information, this happens in dating all the time, to win the admiration of others. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, um, I was watching a video on YouTube the other day, um, and it was two guys, two young teenagers, and they were sitting, standing by um, a very expensive car. Mm-hmm. And they were picking up dates or trying to hit on women, making them think that that was their car. So two other guys came over, say, oh, boy, can I take a picture with the car? And they're like, get out of here. It's my car. But the reality was the people who, who came over to ask if they could take a picture were actually the owners of the car. And they, they went on to embarrass them by saying, oh, it's your car, is it? And mm-hmm. then they, he took out the keys and opened up the doors, and the girls were a little frustrated because they were being lied to. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: so people can lie to win the admiration of others.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: People also can lie to get out of an awkward social situation. You know, if you want to avoid getting out of a dull party or a date, you know, go to blind date. The blind date is nothing like you thought he was going to be or she was going to be, and you uh, say, "Oh, gee, my children are calling. I got to go home." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah.
2: people
0: people can lie to get out of an awkward situation. Mm-hmm. They can also lie to avoid embarrassment. So maybe they, a little kid, wets his pants. And he lies saying he spilled water on himself because Mm -hmm. he doesn't want anybody to know that he peed his pants. So kids will lie to avoid embarrassment. They'll also lie to maintain privacy without notifying others of that intention. So a good example of that is a couple who may have eloped because the cost of the wedding was way beyond their means, Mm So they didn't want to be in front of people. So they just said, ah, we decided to elope. So nobody knew, knew about their financial hardships. They maintained their privacy. Um, and nine, the ninth reason why people might have a motive to give this information is to exercise power over others by controlling the information. That is what we're seeing a lot in the media. That's when people are trying to control other people. And famously, this was embodied by Hitler. And I spoke a lot about that last week. Mm-hmm. It's the most dangerous motive for telling lies, but it is a motive. So that's the motive. So if we know that when people are giving us information, they have motive. Or they could have a motive. Yeah. They could also just try to be helping, helpful in giving us truth. So it's important that you have rules to so figure out how to get around the motive. Now, the receiver has bias. We call them cognitive biases. And it's the way a particular person understands events, facts, or other people, which is based on their own set of beliefs and experiences, and they may not be reasonable or accurate. So you might hear the information, and the information might not mean anything. It might not even have a motive. But your monkey will then start coloring the information. Mm. So I think the most popular of what we call a a cognitive bias is what we call a confirmation bias. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that kind of bias um, lends you to accept new information that confirms anything you already believe to be true and minimize any contradictory evidence. So you only seek out evidence that aligns with that which you already believe. For example, a neighbor who thinks dogs are inherently dangerous sees a vicious dog attack, an innocent child, and another neighbor might see that same situation as a dog defending himself against a menacing child. Now, neither of those accounts are really reliable because they're they're assuming the motive of the dog based on the confirmation bias. Does that make sense? Yep, that makes sense. Yep. Another one that we see all the time is a um, confirmation bias in our social interactions. Um, Have you ever called or texted someone only to receive no reply?
2: Yes, I
0: have. (laughs) Right, so most people think, well, they didn't reply, they must be busy.
2: Yeah.
0: But some people who have low self-esteem might have a confirmation bias and decide that the person must dislike them so they create a story their monkey's already telling them a story beforehand and so then they start finding information to confirm that idea well you know they did look look at me funny last week or they were short with me last week i wonder what's wrong and then your mind just builds it and builds it builds it Mm -hmm. and this can damage you know if you've you're in a romantic relationship and you believe that your partner is cheating. Any interaction, positive or negative, is now proof that the cheating is correct. They didn't call me right away. They must be cheating. They must be on the phone with a lover. So it's very, very important that we figure out our confirmation bias and know that they're they're there so that we can um, be aware of them. You know... Scientists have a lot of confirmation bias. They'll take information that has a result and then they'll look at the result and they'll change it up. They'll confirm what they want it to be. Especially if there's a lot writing on the study. Maybe they're going to get a big grant. Um, Dr. Bruce Lipton talked about that with the Human Genome Project. He found information that was contrary to the Human Genome Project and, in fact, their entire basis. In science and because of their confirmation bias they didn't want to look at the information they didn't want to talk about the information they wanted to go ahead with their information because there's a lot riding on that data even though the data that they were using was wrong and a lot of times you see confirmation bias with religion Believers of any any faith might see everyday occurrences as proof of their religion. They'll see miracles or they'll see tragedies and te- as tests of faith. And people who don't belong to any religion may see may see the opposite. They may, they may see the events as reinforcement of their lack of faith. Um, some confirmation bias people might not think about is. On social media. I think we were talking earlier and you said, yeah, you never thought of it. Your search engine is very smart, especially Google. If you have Google as your search engine, Google starts learning your behaviors. It's got the AI to learn your behavior, your preferences. So the filter bubble from your search engines allow you only to see results that you're interested in. So in other words, when you type something into Google, you might only get results that agree with your point of view. So validating your confirmation bias. You also, people also tend to um, accept social media friends who agree with them on on any issue. (laughs) Right? And they want them to press the like button and make Mm -hmm. comments if you agree with me. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they don't, what do they do? They block or unfollow that person.
2: Yep. Yep.
0: (laughs) Right? Or they cut them off social media. You don't agree with what I'm I'm talking about, so they cut them off. (laughs)
2: You're not my friend anymore.
0: Yep. (laughs) Um, Then there's also self-fulfilling prophecies, which are a form of confirmation bias. When you believe something will happen you often influence whether or not it'll it'll actually happen or not. So, for instance, if you are um, going on a job interview, right, you're really nervous, mm-hmm. and you tell yourself, you know, I'm going to be late. <laughs> so then you have a sleepless, restless night, leading you to wake up late, and you arrive at the, <laughs> the, the thing, right, the late. Yep. So you arrive at the... The uh, interview late and't the don't get the job, so that's your confirmation bias. Also, we just have extreme partisanship. I mean in our culture today, every, there's such extreme partisanship that people only seek news sources that agree with their position instead of looking objectively into the candidates or party that they support and trying to see why, why the opposition support the other candidate without using partisan attacks. You know, people don't see the, the, um, the plank in their own eye while they're too busy pointing out the splinter in everybody else's.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's confirmation bias. You can see how that plays out. So your monkey has a lot of confirmation bias. Most monkeys do. So if somebody starts telling you something that might be true, your confirmation bias is going to reject it. If it doesn't agree with, you know, yeah. yeah, so you'll find reasons or information that counters it
2: mm-hmm.
0: without realizing or whether or not the, the source that you're getting the information from is accurate and reliable. The, the next type of bias that we're going to be talking about is belief bias. Now, I have a great deal of belief bias, I have to admit. Now, belief bias in effect with someone's evaluation of the logical strength of an argument
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, is made by the believability of the conclusion. For instance, I'm sorry, but I don't think UFOs exist. And I, I, and when I say UFOs, I don't really mean UFOs because I, I know UFOs exist. They're just ident- unidentified flying objects, which means they could be a, a spacecraft from, from another country. Mm-hmm. But I mean... If I'm a believer in extraterrestrials, any information that um, contravenes my belief system, I will deny as ridiculous, irrational, illogical, or just plain stupid, right? Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm not a believer in extraterrestrials, and any information that contravenes my belief system, I will deny as ri- ridiculous, <laughs> irrational, <laughs> illogical, or just plain stupid. So when people tell me all kinds of UFO stuff, I cut them off before I even listen to them. Because UFOs and extraterrestrials, yep, okay. When people start talking about lizard people and and all the nonsense that you yeah. hear on social media, I just, okay, no, sorry.
2: Yeah, you block it off.
0: <laughs> I, yep, yep, yep. So another type of cognitive bias is a normalcy bias, which leads people to disbelieve or minimize threat warnings. So, for instance, if you... um. And Hurricane Sandy. Hurricane Sandy was predicted well in advance, and evacuation warnings were also issued, yet the people of New Jersey decided to stay back and endure it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: For most people thought it would be just another hurricane. They thought it was just going to be normal. So they were blinded by the normalcy bias, mm-hmm. and they underestimated it and had to pay a heavy price for their inaction. Their lives were in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, it also happened with the Holocaust. There were quite a few warnings um, for the Jews to take a note of the impending danger. They were made to wear yellow stars. They had to possess stamp identification cards at all times, which they would check, spot check. There were discriminatory laws that were put in place targeting their businesses. And yet, the Jews underestimated Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. Mm. And they stayed put. Where, if they had left, they would have been safe.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And of course, what we know happened next is documented as one of the worst chapters of American human history. I mean, as human history, not American history. Um, another type of bias is false consensus bias. This happens all the time. People um, think more of their position <laughs> than is true. <laughs> In other words, they assume that their personal qualities, characteristics, beliefs, and actions are relatively widespread throughout the general population. They think the things that they believe, everyone believes. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So after seeing a film and they believe that the film is excellent, the person overestimates the number of people who also thought that the film was excellent. So they're surprised when it it, it failed in the box office because it was horrific. (laughs) And some people believe that cats are better than dogs and people underestimate the percentage of people who agree with this point of view. People who believe dogs are better probably think that majority of the people also agree with them. And people who think cats are better probably think that most people think that cats are better. So that's just a false consensus bias. So you can see how knowing these biases will help when you're getting information, when you're taking information in. Right,
2: right.
0: So, one of the reasons why I wanted you on the um, on this particular on this particular episode is because we had an issue with uh, a question that you wrestled with regarding a real estate legal issue, okay. and you went to other people in your chain of command and even your husband, who is a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. And how did that go for you? Can you explain what happened and um, what the problem was and and, um, what kind of information you were getting?
2: Sure. So I received – I had a a listing, and I received an offer from a buyer, and I presented it to the seller, and the seller accepted the offer. So the next um, stage was the um, home inspection, So the buyer had the home inspection and got the report. And after reviewing the report, decided that he wanted to um, negotiate. And he found quite a bit of stuff that he wasn't happy with. And um, I had told him that the seller said that the property was going to be, you know, sold as is, but obviously he could have a home inspection to see what he was going to purchase. That was not a problem. And so the buyer decided that there was quite a bit of stuff that he wanted to renegotiate. So he sent me an email and he had a a list of things that, um, he wanted the seller to take care of or um, reduce the um, price. And I presented that to the seller and the seller said, nope, I told him it was as is. And, you know, you, he can take it or, he, you know, I'll leave it. So I, I presented that to the buyer and the buyer um, didn't want to um, accept the no, he still wanted to continue to um, renegotiate. So right,
0: and, and what did your husband say about that?
2: So um, I said to my husband, I told him the situation, and he said that that the buyer um, is the one who was going to make the um, decision of. Um, declining the offer and really the seller didn't have any say in it because mm-hmm. it was still an offer. The initial offer was still an offer and it just didn't make sense to me because I, I I was thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. He, now he's trying to renegotiate all of this and it makes no sense. The seller is declining, that he doesn't want to renegotiate. And my husband kept saying that, no, um, legally, you know, you can get in trouble. The buyer can um, sue the seller and make this so complicated and the seller won't be able to um, put the property back on the market and all of the stuff. So I decided, well, let me talk to the broker. And so I called the broker and explained the whole situation. And at first, he agreed with me. And then my husband got involved and spoke with the the broker. And now the broker was agreeing with my husband.
0: (laughs) Which brought you to me.
2: Yes. So I was in the middle of this. And I just, the whole thing, I just didn't make sense to me that the seller didn't have a right to do what you know to back away from this without being you know um, sued or whatever the situation was so i called you and explained the whole situation and you said well let me look into it and and you looked into it and you said that once the initial offer Okay, is if you renegotiate the offer, that initial offer is voided. That's it. So there was no offer. We were negotiating, but the the initial offer was voided because the buyer was renegotiating. Well, I had two people telling me no, 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 that is not true. And then you gave me the facts, and you said, no, this is true. And so you told me um, the real estate law, and you got the book, and you read it to me. And I'm like, okay, this makes a lot of sense.
0: So I want to take that now, and I want to go through the steps.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So what I'm going to be teaching you now is the most important part of this exercise not you particular, Anna, but the audience.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, it's Waypoint Mastermind's Eight Steps to Finding a Fact. So this is going to help you no matter when you're trying to discern facts in this world. Mm-hmm. You want to follow these eight steps, and you want to make sure you get really good at them because they'll really save you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So we're going to go through with this particular scenario, and we're going to try three different scenarios so we can um, get a good feel for this process. Mm-hmm. But the first process we're going to go through is we're going to talk about honest problem. So the first question, I mean, the first step of this eight step process is you have to know the question you're trying to find the answer to. So you have to ask yourself that the person knows the information you are looking for, that you are using the same context if the information will aid you in any way in the attainment of your primary objective, which is to answer the question. Mm-hmm. So it's very important that we talk about those, those things. So first of all, you need to know the question. And you need to make sure that the person who's trying to help you answer the question or you're asking the answer to the question mm-hmm. of is, is on the same page with you. Not only that, the words that you're using, you have to make sure that you have the same context. In other words, you understand the, me- the words to mean the same thing. Because if you don't have those criteria, they could be giving you answers all day long, but you're speaking about a completely different story.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's what happened with your your husband. Mm Mm-hmm. He was was speaking about a completely different situation that was completely and totally irrelevant to the question you were answering.
2: Correct. Yes. Yeah.
0: So so you have to know the question you're trying to answer, and in this particular case, whether an offer is valid if there's been a counteroffer.
2: Yes, yes, okay. that is the question,
0: yeah. Right. Well, so step two, we have to identify the type of information that the person is giving us. So your husband was giving you information. So mm-hmm. we, it, the type comes into two categories, subjective and objective. Subjective information is unreliable information because it's burst on either personal preference in the case of a personal choice
2: mm-hmm.
0: or an opinion which is a belief, or bias, or judgment that rests on grounds insufficient to produce complete clarity. Mm-hmm. So we don't accept opinions. So we have preferences and opinions. The only one, to, uh, the only time you want to know if somebody's preference is if you're making them dinner. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the only re- way you're interested in the subjective.
2: Yeah. yeah. Or if you're
0: buying them a Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to information that they're giving you to answer a question, you're not interested in their subjective opinion or, or their subjective preferences. So what we are interested in is objective information. And there are two types of objective information. Mm-hmm. There's theoretical knowledge, which is based on the creation of a hypothesis when the necessary facts in which to base your conclusion are not available. Now, I don't like theoretical knowledge either, but sometimes that's all we have to work on. So we can use that as a temporary holding pattern until we get the truth. Mm-hmm. If we have to make a judgment at the, in the fly, but mm-hmm. what we're looking for is experiential knowledge, which is based on deductive reasoning, where facts are the basis for all the conclusions. In other words, you've spent the time of going through the process and finding out the absolute truth regarding a particular issue
2: mm-hmm.
0: and making sure all the person that's giving you information has done the same. And we're going to check that next. Okay, so we want to make sure that we're using the right type of information. And your husband, what kind of information was he using?
2: Well, he was using information that he was um, he was taught, you know, um, from his old um, boss. And so he was giving me information that basically – the buyer is the one who has more control over, um, over the, the seller. And, and that- in stating that, you know, it was, it's the buyer's decision if they want to um, back out, which it's, it's not true. It's the sellers also because they're in the negotiating process right now. And the seller said, no, I'm not, you know, I don't want to negotiate. You take the initial offer of what I signed or that's it. But according to my husband, he said, no, that the buyer had more control than the seller.
0: Which seems more of his opinion, which is a judgment. Mm -hmm. based, Or it could even be theoretical knowledge based Mm -hmm. on some type of educated guess. But the point is it was not experiential knowledge. So step number three is that now we have to know the source. Where are they getting this information from? So never accept the opinions of other people as being facts until you have learned the source of those opinions and satisfied yourself of their accuracy. And this is going to be a very difficult step because you're going. it's going to require you to ask the person giving you information the following question. How do you know? People feel comfortable asking that information. Right? They, they feel comfor- uncomfortable asking basic questions of another person. How dare you question me?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, when anyone makes a statement you can't identify as true, follow this habit faithfully, and you're going to start to see them squirm. They'll turn red right in the face, and, ins- mm-hmm. and you have to uh, insist upon a direct reply. Remember, you have to be open-minded and do an investigation because it's not really important to you what the the answer is provided it's true. Mm -hmm. You're only looking for the accurate truth because anything other than that can get you sued. In your particular case, you want to avoid being sued.
2: Correct, yes.
0: And you want to see what kind of powers or position your seller has. So yeah, it was right. very important that mm-hmm. you you know what the truth was. Yeah. So so we have to avoid all this nonsense, and that's what we were getting, lots of nonsense. And this was not a really difficult problem to solve, but it sounds that way from the beginning of this. And as I'm going to show you, it wasn't that difficult at all.
2: Yeah, yeah. Number four, <laughs>
0: you have to recognize the motive of the person telling you mm-hmm. the information. Now, in this particular case, you were getting double-ended you were going to be double-ending this deal. In other words, you were going to get double a commission.
2: Yes. Because mm-hmm. you,
0: you represent the seller, and there was no other agent involved.
2: That is correct, yes. The buyers did- decided that they didn't want um, anyone to represent them, yes.
0: Even though you were pushing them to do that?
2: Yes, I did. Yes, I, I recommended for them to get a buyer agent, and they said no, that they did not um, want one.
0: By the way, in real estate, that's unheard of. Mm-hmm. So that just shows how ethical you are because you did not want them to have no, um, nobody representing their interests.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yep.
0: So you have to recognize motive. And your husband certainly had motive, right? In addition mm-hmm. to the fact that he had his opinion, he had a motive. He wanted you to stay in this deal because it was double-end. Okay. Right? Yeah. So that's number four. You've got to recognize yourself and ask yourself immediately when you hear someone speaking of others in a discourteous or slanderous spirit or um, favoring somebody for a particular reason, because this very fact should put you on notice that what you're hearing is biased, mm-hmm. to say the least, mm-hmm. um, and probably not very well thought out. So number five don 't show your cards now you shouldn't ever show when you're asking information, you should never tell the other person what it is it you 're looking for the answer to be mm-hmm. and asking others for information, do not disclose to them what you wish the information to be because most people have the bad habit of trying to put uh, please you under such circumstances so if they didn 't have a motive, you showing your cards could create a motive in their mind
2: mm-hmm.
0: so that they they win. You over. They win maybe a deal over. Or they, they get a piece of the pie. or
2: mm-hmm.
0: So that's step number five. Step number six, always ask for proof. If you ask your husband for proof, could he ever furnish it?
2: Well, he was saying that it was um, on the offer. He kept saying that that's what the offer says. It's a contract, and in uh, uh, the contract that it's a contract. You can't you can't back out, and that's not true because I kept saying <laughs> it was no longer valid. But right. he was not listening to me of what I was saying because he kept saying that the contract was still valid, even though. It is not valid. Once a buyer renegotiates an offer, the initial offer is no longer valid.
0: Right. And you ask him for proof. The point is he couldn't give you any proof, though the offer form is a form of proof. If the offer form actually had that language in there, that would be sufficient. Mm hmm. But the offer form did not have any such language. In fact, I directed you to the offer form, did I not?
2: Yes. And had
0: you read exactly the offer form to me, the language first. Before I did anything else, I had you read the offer form to me Mm -hmm. to see what the offer form said. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And then I went to the law.
2: Yes.
0: And I printed out the actual contract law as it relates to real estate agents and offers specifically. And then I also sent it to you. So you would have a copy of it. Mm -hmm. Because you have to remember that anything which exists anywhere throughout the universe is capable of proof. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And where there is no such proof available, it's safer to assume that nothing exists. Mm -hmm. I've not seen sufficient proof that aliens exist. (laughs) So it's safer for me to say, yep, no aliens, no aliens at all. Now, and how much did your husband's advice cost you?
2: How much did it cost me? Um, Well, he backed away from it because he just didn't want to get involved. And Mm -hmm. he's like, you take care of it, which I did. And um, you helped me. And this is why a mastermind group is um, great to be in. And... um, You guided me on what I needed to say with the attorney because the buyers um, decided to get an attorney, which was fine. And I explained the whole situation and we moved on. And we went to the um, purchase and sale, the next step. And we did close on the property. But eventually, eventually we did close, but it was a long, a long process.
0: But you Very got exactly long. what your sellers wanted.
2: I did. I did. Yeah. I got them what the, because I was representing them. And I want to say that I did disclose this to the buyers that I was representing the sellers, that I was not representing that. And they knew that. So I did disclose that information and they still continue that they wanted to um, to work with me. And then eventually they decided that because of this whole situation of um, renegotiating and they felt that they wanted to get an attorney involved, which was fine. And it, it was best that way anyway.
0: And most times, with a real estate agent at least, we start getting intimidated when that happens. Mm-hmm. But you weren't intimidated because you could stand solid on the evidence that you had accumulated.
2: Correct. Correct. Yes. I gave them all the information. Once the inter- a, attorney got involved, um, I explained the whole situation to the attorney, and she appreciated that. So she knew what what happened before... Um, she got involved because they told her, obviously, their side, and I just wanted for her to also understand what what happened, where we got to this point.
0: Right, but you also made an assertion which you were a little um, leery about, and I told you to make an assertion that they're out of contract. I told you to put it in contract in uh, in yeah. the. Um- the email that make that specific statement that they are out of contract and stand on it firm. Correct. And you did. And the other, the other attorney, because we were right, knew that and did not argue that fact. Correct.
2: No, no, they did not argue. And we were out of contract. And once uh, the things got resolved that, the buyers um, were concerned with, which we didn't have to, um, we meaning the seller did not have to go back to them and ask them if they wanted to make sure that they were happy with the work that was done but you know the seller said well i'll I'll let them see if they're satisfied with the work which they were they caused a little um a little discussion about that. But then once I said, you know, take it or leave it. This is why we wanted you to take a look at it. If you're not happy with the work, or you're not satisfied, or it doesn't meet your standards, that's fine. You can back out and we'll we'll move on. So and, and that happened and they were okay. And they moved on. They the next step was the, the purchase and sale. Right, I so- learned, yeah, but I learned a lot from this whole deal, and it was interesting because I had also asked another agent uh, regarding this about the um, offer if it was valid, and she she said no, you you can't do that. The offer is still valid; it's not voided. Um, <laughs> so I I got from another experienced agent that she's been in business for a long time. She um she said the same thing that and no that, it's not it's not voided which is not true it is voided once we once a buyer renegotiates the offer it's it's voided
0: and that's why I was able to win seventeen of the seventeen lawsuits mm-hmm. that I I was involved in mm-hmm. because I knew how to discern truth mm-hmm. I would get right to the Right to the heart of the matter, and and get right to the, you know, the the vein of truth,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and go after them with it. And they didn't know how to respond because people do not know how to discern truth. Mm-hmm. And people, even people who think that they know how to discern truth or think that they know the truth, are unaware that they don't have an idea how to discern truth. And when they're up against a real serious situation or they're up against somebody like me, they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And that's not because I'm brilliant. That's because I have a metric for following truth. I'm only interested in the truth. I'm not interested in confirming what I believe to be true. Mm-hmm. In fact, I have a habit of asking my my um, attorney all the time, am I crazy? This is what I believe, isn't it? Am I crazy? Mm-hmm. So step number six is always ask for proof. Step number seven is free advices. Generally poor advice. Remember that free advice no matter from whom should be received with the closest of examination before it is acted upon as safe, and generally speaking, that sort of advice is worth exactly what it costs, which will play into the next the next scenario quite well. And number eight is develop your intuition. One of the great unexplained miracles consists in the fact that both truth and falsehood, no matter why by what means they may be expressed, carry with them a silent and visible means of identifying themselves as such. Remember this truth, begin developing this necessary it, the necessary intuition, which I call my spider sense, mm-hmm. to enable you to sense what is true and false. Over time, you're going to be able to do that. First stage, you're going to be un- unconsciously incompetent and in p- applying these steps. You're not really going to know how to do this. So, but you're going to become aware. So, you'll be consciously incompetent. After this podcast, hopefully you move from the unconsciously incompetent to the consciously incompetent, so you can start working on this step. Mm -hmm. And what you do is you take all the information, you start utilizing it, and then suddenly you become consciously competent. So as long as you're thinking about it, you can put these steps in place and get to the truth, till eventually you're going to be unconsciously competent. Your monkey will be sober when it comes to finding fact, Mm -hmm. and your monkey will start sobering itself because you'll start replacing all of the lies you've had with all truths that you that you have
1: mm-hmm.
0: and remember um step one also remember i said you have to ask the question you have to make sure that you any information that's irrelevant to the answering of that question just discard it so let's go back to the next the next scenario which is okay you are a seller and you want to know the value of your property.
2: Yeah.
0: So that's the question. So number one, we have to know the question. So we have to get a real estate agent and we want the real estate agent to tell us the value of our property.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now in valuation, there's different problems you can solve for. You can solve for the after repair value. You can solve for the pro, the, um, the value now. You can solve for, um, what the, um, what the investment value is going to be. There's a lot of different scenarios that an appraiser can find out. If you're you're appraising for a bank, it's going to be different than you're appraising for a a purchase, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: right? If you're going to be paying cash versus what the funding is going to be. So Mm -hmm. we know the question. You're the seller, and you're going to be figuring out whether or not the realtor is looking to give you the right information. So no, number two, we have to identify the source. Well, obviously, we want experiential knowledge. Hopefully, this realtor has been doing this for a little while, (laughs) right?
2: Yes.
0: So the second stage of after we know the question, we're going to identify what type of information this realtor is primarily going to be using, and hopefully he has enough experience to back up um, or get this question answered. Number three, we have to know the source. What source generally do real estate agents use? in answering this question.
2: Is the MLS?
0: Right. Multiple so the,
2: listing
0: service? Right, the multiple listing service, because it has all the sales recorded. So we mm-hmm. can go on there and find actual facts regarding what has sold and for how much and what concessions were added. Mm-hmm. So that's step number three. We have to know the source. And so the realtor, you assume that the realtor got the information from a source. Now, what is the motive of the real estate agent?
2: Yeah. well the motive should be giving a value of the property
0: of the right it's but, worth. they also want to get the listing though they have a motive their, their motive is i want to get paid i want to get mm-hmm. this listing so we know that they're going to have a motive right now their motive is to give you the information that you want mm-hmm. the only way they're going to get paid is to give you accurate information mm-hmm. step number six I mean step number five is don't show your cards. This is where this step number five is really important. Because if you start telling the real estate agent, you know, I want I'm I'm looking to sell it for I think I'm looking to sell it for about five hundred thousand, that's a mistake. Because you showed your cards, which now means the real estate agent has a new motive. Yeah. His new motive is to get you five hundred thousand dollars. His motive is and not to tell you the truth anymore, his motive is to push the narrative. Mm-hmm. It's very important to understand that distinction, and that's what happens in the media all the time. So you can't show your cards. Unfortunately, the media already knows the cards of the narrative that they're pushing. So then you have to ask for proof. So how do you ask a realtor for proof?
2: Well, what um, what they came up with, what properties they came up with.
0: Right, so you yeah, get a comparative I mean, so market analysis. That you get. So you get a comparative market analysis. You get a, a printout of all the facts as it relates to the yeah. listings that were actually comparable to your sub the subject property, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you'll be able to see from that, that data whether or not they're actually comparable,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and what a realtor thinks is comparable, and what is and and which is really comparable, and what a seller thinks is comparable are two different things. I mean. A seller's gonna say, but look at my beautiful island, look at my mm-hmm. cabinets. And yeah. and those things are not comparable. Those things mm-hmm. are not they don't add value to the buyer. They add value to you because that's why you put them in, but they don't add and sellers generally don't know that. So they get really emotional. Well, look at how much they spent. Well, that's all irrelevant. What if the buyer comes in and wants to rip off this kitchen cabinets? How much is it worth to them then?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so not much. Right, so
0: so now they've gotten information from a source that you're gonna they're gonna have to pay if they get the listing. They also can get free information. Right, mm-hmm. seller can go to Zillow and get information as to what the house is worth. But if they go on Zillow, they're gonna get free advice that's worth exactly what they paid for it. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Zillow is based on a model that is not a specific model to a specific neighborhood. In fact, it's generated. It, um Nationally, where at least if you have your tax assessor generating a model in your particular neighborhood, at least it's based on your your particular state, your particular city, and your particular neighborhoods. That's not what happens with Zillow. It's a very broad, as as you would expect, it's a very broad model. So it's not very accurate. In fact, Zillow is generally very high.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Wouldn't you say this, true?
2: Yes, very true. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. So then as a seller you can develop your intuition and say, well, that doesn't seem right. That information just doesn't seem right. Um, or you can say, yeah, that that if that information seems about right. It all depends on what what bias you're using, right? If you have a bias and you want to confirm, but I really want the five hundred thousand dollars. And this is I'm only gonna get four seventy. Which happens all the time the yeah. sellers have confirmation bias and they want the 500,000 even though the house is not worth it so they find the realtors to go list yeah. it for 500,000 which unfortunately there are many realtors who will lie yeah. to the seller yeah. and the only way you get there is to get somebody who is willing to lie yeah because if a house is worth 470 and you have a competent professional they're only going to tell you it's worth 470 regardless of what you want to hear which is what, where you come in, right? That's that's how you do it.
2: <laughs> that's how I do it? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah you know, I don't lie to them either. I, I, no. I get frustrated with listings for that reason because I'll tell the seller the truth and the sellers want to be lied to.
2: That's, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not doing my job if I'm telling them what they want to hear. You know, they're no. hiring me as a professional real estate agent and... I'm going to give them the facts, the truth. This is the value of what you know the market is willing to pay. And when I say market, I'm referring to the buyers. So um that's the information that I, I give them. I I say to myself, I, I'm not gonna take a overpriced listing um just to take a listing because I'm not I'm not doing m- my client a favor of not being upfront and honest with my client.
0: That'd be like a doctor telling the patient who doesn't want to get his appendix out. It's okay, you don't have to get your appendix yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: yeah.
0: so they can get him as a patient. No. Mm-hmm. You have to tell the you have to tell the patient what's true regardless of how it feels, regardless of the way it feels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the next the next scenario is going to be a little bit um, controversial, but I don't care because we don't only have easy questions we're trying to find the answers to. We're trying to find quest- uh, answers to questions that sometimes are very difficult to answer. So this particular question is, should I get the vaccination? Yeah. So if we go through the steps, that's the question. I want to know, should I get the vaccination? So I'm looking for people who have experiential knowledge. Who, in this particular case, would have experiential knowledge regarding whether or not I should get a vaccination?
2: Well, it would be your doctor.
0: My doctor. Okay. So the problem with my doctor is my doctor might be listening to another source. So let's say... Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci has already told us his opinion on the vaccinations. But what if your doctor disagrees with Fauci?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We got a problem here, right? Yeah. So now you have to ask the, your doctor where he's getting his information from. What is the source? And you also have to ask where Fauci's getting information to. You know, you don't just accept Fauci because he's Fauci and they've anointed him. You have to ask Fauci, where is he getting his information from? Because this is not about Fauci or not about your doctor. It's about your health. So, And there's lots of contra- contradictory information that says that the vaccine is not very good for you. So if your doctor says it's not very good for you, well, what are you basing that on? So you ask your doctor where he gets his source from. How do you know? But well, that's uncomfortable. He's my doctor. I shouldn't question him. I I question my doctor all the time. How do you know? Because he's a scientist, he should want to investigate with an open mind the truth, and he should know where his sauce is. So he could say a reputable medical journal, and i say, okay. So he's getting his, his information from a reputable medical journal, and there's a couple of um, primary medical journals that are the reputable ones in the, in the industry. All right. What is his motive? What is your doctor's motive?
2: Well, my doctor's motive is to to help me and to to make a decision on if I want to um, get the vaccine or not.
0: Right. So he has your health at stake. What is Fauci's motive? I'll answer it for you. What what people don't realize is Fauci has a motive. Fauci owns. Um. Uh, he invested in the vaccine, so when people get vaccinated, he gets a reward for that vaccination. Mm-hmm. So if you know that to be true, and you can look that up, Fox News actually just did a expose on all of that. But you can look it up. So Fauci has a questionable motive. Plus, he's also he works in a political body. So he could have a political motive as well. I'm not saying he is. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that he could have a political motive where my doctor could have a financial motive. But you're already satisfied in the financial motive because you're in his office. He's already getting paid, regardless of what information you're giving him. So his motive is to get you well so Mm -hmm. you come back to him again. And you shouldn't show your cards. You should never tell your doctor what you want the answer to be and look for his answer Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and then ask him for his proof well, is there any way you can send me that information? That's why sometimes we ask doctors, we ask doctors about a surgical procedure, and then we go get a second opinion.
2: Because
0: mm-hmm. we're looking for proof, and we're looking for validation before we make a very big decision. Um, what you should do is go to WebMD. Web WebMD is not going to give you accurate information. And even if it does give you accurate information, everybody's different, and you should always consult with a physician. Mm-hmm. But there are some legitimate um, websites that have research. um, American Frontline Doctors is one that has lots of information, lots of research that is contrary to the status quo. And you can look into their point of view and see where, where they get their information from. What is their source before you discard their information? So we always ask for proof. We don't go to WebMD because it's free advice. And then we develop our intuition. Do we think it's safe based on what we we know about the vaccine? Well, you won't know that until you go through the process of getting the facts. And once you get the facts, you'll feel comfortable in one way, shape, or form. And I'm obviously not telling you to get the vaccine and not get the vaccine. That's not for me to decide. But you should look into the truth regarding anything that you're going to be putting in your body. This also means... My doctor told me, by the way, which I love him now. He told me that coffee is good for me. Not only is coffee good for me, he told me that he told me that having more than three cups of coffee a day is good for me.
2: Oh boy, you must be really happy about that, Ron. <laughs> so
0: my doctor, then, because of my confirmation bias, and he confirmed mm-hmm. what I was what what I believe is my favorite doctor. So yeah. <laughs> I I make sure I have at least three cups of coffee a day.
2: <laughs> of course, because your doctor
0: said it was okay <laughs> That's doctor approved, that's right So, which is dangerous Because it might not be real I, I think it is, I th- I did the research on it But you can't. That We have to be careful of our biases And we have to be careful of our motive Because our ultimate pursuit In this process is just getting to the truth And yeah. those eight steps will help you get to the truth And people should study this carefully Um So, they may discover that their own basic emotions and biases are their greatest handicap in terms of discerning the truth. It is easy for you to believe that which you wish to believe. And unfortunately, that is precisely what most people do. Mm -hmm. So, this method that I just taught, um, by which many people condemn themselves to eternal failure and defeat by not following this method I just taught, is a method that opens wide. It seals the envelope, which contains the list of penalties that you must pay for neglecting to take possession of their own minds and use them for constructive ends. If you don't use your faculties to discern truth and to clarify and get to the bottom of what is true, then you're putting your life, your family, your health, your country at risk. You agree?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, well, I'd like to thank you, Anna, for being here today. I hope this helps people understand the steps necessary for the discerning of truth. Um, you can find out more about Anna, today's guest, or this topic by visiting the links in the show notes of this episode. Thank you again for being here, Anna. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening. Join me next week for Real Estate Riches, a case study. It's going to be real exciting, and I'll I'll see everyone next week. Okay, bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts or by visiting our website at www.gonfishingpodcast.com. And remember, life is an ocean, a strong boat your foundation. If you want to succeed, identify a harbor. Unfurl your sails, sail outside the drift currents of social expectation, and let's go fishing.
1: You've reached the end of another episode of the Gone Fishing Podcast. Connect with us at www.waypointmastermind.com where you can sign up for our newsletter to receive our free tools and resources. This podcast has been brought to you by Waypoint Mastermind. Personal growth and support through collaboration with a community of like-minded achievers. See you in the next episode.